0: You're listening to Untold Florida, a podcast that looks to explore the neighborhoods of North Central Florida that you live in and to tell the issues in your community that you often wonder about. Maybe it's something you've seen driving around town, a curiosity your neighbor mentioned once, an uncovered or undercovered story never told by the local media. These are those stories. I'm Taylor Levesque. On this episode of Untold Florida, what's abandoned? In the small town of Chiefland, Florida, history on a local structure that has stood for possibly over 100 years is nowhere to be found. I looked more into this mystery and the findings show more about the city's upbringing. And later on in the program, a family known for lost treasures. The Eunice family used to run Florida Reptile Land in Highland and Florida Souvenir Land in Lottie. Today, both businesses are gone, but the Eunice family is still around and I spoke with them about the history of both businesses. But first, what we know about the nameless structure in
1: Chiefland. They've come up to a dead end. Nobody knows.
0: Between the old Chiefland Train Depot and Margaret Heyer's backyard is a standing structure she calls a jail. But does the name fit? Margaret says yes it does.
1: It was always a jail. It's one building, but there's two, I call them stalls, there's two rooms, and each room has the uh, built-in potty chair made out of cement.
0: Each stall has one small window with bars on the back wall. One wooden door remains attached to the left stall, and pieces of a chain still hang from the wooden door frame on the right stall. According to experts, it is approximately less than 300 square feet. Margaret says when she moved to the area with her husband, John Delma Hires Jr. in the 1950s, it sat right next to railroad tracks of the Atlantic Coastline Railroad. But those tracks are no longer there, and now the area is a part of the Florida Heritage Trail.
1: At that time, Mr. Hires Sr. owned the property next door and he owned the jail. And when he passed away, I persuaded the heirs to let me uh, have another half lot so that gave us the jail and a strip of land back.
0: Over the years, it was used as a storage shed and playhouse for her kids. A childhood memory, Margaret's daughter, Cherie Lancaster, remembers vividly. Me and my sister, Sylvia Hires, would play in and around the jail and my friend Vicky and I would even climb up on top of the jail. My sister says she remembers that if my dad knew we were down there, he would tell us to get out. was afraid we would lock each other up in the jail, and and we couldn't get out, but we never did that. Margaret still lives on the property today, and despite the family's best efforts, no information about the structure in the city's history books has been found.
1: We can't find anybody
0: that's living that knows. That wasn't until architect William Moore took a look at things.
2: That's definitely a jail. There's no doubt about it in my mind.
0: Moore conducts research on structures like this across the U.S. and says they are common, but people rarely ask about them. But he typically doesn't use the word jail to define it. He calls it a calaboose.
2: The word calaboose came from a Spanish word, calabozo. If you look up that word, you're going to see jail.
0: He said what gave it away was the way it looked.
2: If you look at the bars in the windows and the bars above the doors, you see the old wooden frame around them? That's so typical. They have that concrete thing inside that would serve as a toilet.
0: And Moore says the material is key in determining when it was made.
2: Yours is made of poured concrete. Poured concrete didn't come into vogue around 1908 or 1910 or something like that. Before that, they would have been all wood. Most small towns used whatever materials that was the easiest to get and the cheapest.
0: Moore says the majority of the structures are commonly found around railroad tracks or water towers.
2: I believe when these small towns first started, the city only had enough money to buy one small parcel of land. So they would put the water tower, my assumption, whatever they could in that spot, that's all they own.
0: He believes it was commonly used as the first jail in the area. At
2: first, I thought these little jails were in tiny towns. I learned that's not true because in a county seat at one time it was a tinier town and at one time it didn't have a big two-story county jail so these were used until the county jails were built in the county seat
0: but the majority of offenders didn't commit serious crimes
2: the majority of prisoners were drunk or rowdy people
0: while some can be inferred about the structure the whole story remains a mystery Margaret's husband passed away in 2013 and says he always had his theories, too.
1: They would put the prisoners in there overnight until they could transfer them the next day to a bigger jail facility.
0: Margaret regrets not asking more questions sooner on what it had been used for prior to living on the property.
1: I've tried. I have really tried to find out more about it, and we're just not able to.
0: Today, the hires no longer own the jail. In 1999, Margaret deeded it to the city with the idea of starting a conversation among locals on its history. Numerous attempts have been made to contact the city of Chiefland about their research on the structure, but those attempts have gone unanswered and the investigation continues. Next on the program, what happened to a popular North Central Florida souvenir store? Cars rumble down Highway 301 in Lottie all day long. Many pass by the old Florida souvenir store that now sits abandoned.
3: I would say it completely closed, but we still open it periodically, probably 2013.
0: So, who opened Souvenirland? Regina Eunice says it was her dad. His name was Eugene Eunice. Many years ago, the store used to be full of life and travelers, but now the structure is deteriorating. All the stuff was just left there. While the old souvenir store was Gene's most recent business, it wasn't his first. It began with a zoo of animals at Florida Reptile Land.
3: You walked and you've seen goats and you've seen llamas and you've seen squirrel monkeys and you've seen reese, reese monkeys.
0: Regina says her parents started working at Florida Reptile Land when they were teenagers.
3: Charles Garvin owned the zoo. My mom and daddy were like 16, 17, 18 and started working there and met and got married. Then he put them in charge of all three of the zoos.
0: And growing up, she remembers what it was like to be around the zoo as a little girl. We had
3: a chicken that played basketball. You put a quarter in it and the ball would come up with air and he would hit it and it would go in
0: the basket. From the 1950s to the 1980s, the zoo located in Highlands attracted visitors from all around.
3: You went to the zoo free. There was animals just lined up. Everything was in a big circle.
0: And it gained a lot of popularity
3: in the community. You'd get to the donation booth. Most everybody would leave at least a dollar. It was busy. I mean, the whole parking lot would be packed. And it was nothing for them to make $2,000 a day in souvenirs.
0: Regina's parents ran the Florida reptile land for years until some challenges led to its closure in the mid-1980s.
3: They closed all the zoos up mainly because of PETA. You know, it was getting so bad about them not wanting a monkey in a pen and you know, the alligators in a pit. So as soon as one chapter closed... Him and my mom ran that and he and her got divorced and that place got sold.
0: Another one opened for Jean.
3: My dad opened up the souvenir place in Lolly. When he bought the building, it was a horns build, and then he turned it into a souvenir place.
0: The Florida souvenir land was filled with all kinds of merchandise.
3: He had pecans, candies, and he had Disney t-shirts. He had mini Tonka moccasins, which was the best. Any kind of souvenir anybody would want, it was there. And it had a few animals, too. My dad had an alligator here in this store. I think it was an
0: 18-foot alligator. Even one of Gene's longtime friends remembers what a normal day was like.
2: You know, there was always people stopping in here. But you take people from up north, they was wanting some kind of souvenir, and that, that's what he had.
0: But around 2013, things started to
3: change. They got to where people weren't traveling free at one like they used to.
0: Florida Department of Transportation Communications Specialist Troy Roberts says the recession hit.
2: In the late 2000s, like the rest of the nation, we were facing a serious recession at the time. And due to that, we saw a reduced number of visitors and motorists on um, our roadways, which includes U.S. 301.
0: And Regina says Gene got sick. He died in 2016. He had
3: asthma all of his life. I guess he just got tired, you know.
0: Since Gene's death, the store has sat still. The glass windows hold on to old advertisements, and the paint chips away. But not too long ago, pictures of the old store circulated on social media. And Ashley Crawford says dozens of locals commented, wondering how they could get their hands on the old merchandise sitting in the windows.
3: All the stuff that was just sitting there going bad, and everybody's interested, you know, they'll message me and say, hey, you know, can we come look at the store, or, you know, are you selling any of it? So I was like, well, let's just bring it all out and let everybody just come in and look.
0: The store opened one last time for business in October. Boxes of merchandise were placed on tables outside for customers to look through. Regina says she's proud of what her dad accomplished. He had a good life. That's the only life he knew. The family agrees the building is a treasure to Lottie, but they have decided to sell the property. Regina says her family will always cherish the businesses that surrounded their lives growing up. You can hear these stories and more from our reporters, Sophia Mangody, Ethan Badowski, Samantha Green, and Harrison Smadjavitz on our website, wuft.org. And if you have an Untold Florida story you'd like us to look into, we'd like to hear from you. Go to wuft.org news Untold Florida if you'd like to learn more. This podcast is a production of WUFT News and the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. I'm Taylor Levesque, and this is Untold Florida. Thank you for listening.